Welcome to In Another's View, a podcast series to engage the community to stand for neurodiversity through the lens of youth. I'm Joshua Cow, your host. Today, I'm very honored to introduce our guest, Isabella He. Isabella is a senior at Mission San Jose High School. She is a passionate neurodiversity advocate and intern at Stanford Neurodiversity Project. She is the founder of Essen Inclusion and co-founder of Awesome. Welcome to In Another's View, Isabella. It's an honor to have you. It's great to be here. So let's get started. So take us back in time to when you were just getting to know what neurodiversity was. What triggered you to join the neurodiversity effort? And what does the term neurodiversity mean to you? Yeah, so I would say I got started in neurodiversity when I began volunteering. I started out at a local nonprofit organization, Friends of Children with Special Needs, which is still very dear to my heart and I'm still actively involved in today. And then I'd say I really took off when I actually, my family goes back to Chengdu, China every summer to visit my dad's side of the family, visit his mom, um, his four sisters. And then, so I think that just one of these trips, I wanted to do something more. So I started reaching out to hospitals around me, reached out to a bunch of local hospitals and one of them, Chengdu's Hospital for Women and Children, um, said that they would be willing to take me on as kind of a unofficial or internship or something that I just kind of created for myself, working very closely with their therapists and with the families and children. Um, it was like a parent implemented intervention three-week program. So the aim of the program was to teach parents how to work with their children because these families couldn't financially sustain kind of regular therapy. And I think that it was really there that because of such just close interaction with these families across a three-week time span that I really got in touch with the movement of neurodiversity and why we needed so much to help these families. So I think that when I came back over to the United States, started getting involved in, um, at the time, special needs advocacy. And then I learned about the neurodiversity movement from the Stanford University Project. And I just found it such a great way to put into words and put into conceptual ideas of all these things that I had been thinking about, how we could focus more on the strengths-based advocacy. So I think that when I found out about neurodiversity, I just instantly fell in touch with the movement. Yeah, it's great that these interactions with families were touching to you and got you started. And there has been necessary focus on other diversities, such as race, gender, and culture in schools and communities. But neurodiversity has typically been less known. And with that comes many misunderstandings of neurodiversity. So what have been some of the stigmas you have observed in the school community about neurodiversity that you think ought to change? Yeah, I think that this question would also be really well answered by neurodivergent individuals themselves, but I'd love to share just like based on my experience as a volunteer and people who have interacted a lot with the neurodiverse community. I just think that a lot of stigmas are surrounded against like ableism um, is a big one, just thinking about how, I guess, just the movement of autism being like a something that should not be celebrated. I think that's a huge stigma that it's like basically living like as a minority population in a neurotypical world. I think that comes with a lot of stigmas within itself. I think more specifically, I also see that a lot of the children, the special education students at my school, I think a lot of people are just afraid to talk to them. I think that they don't want to socialize. And that's just very incorrect just because when I go in to talk to the students, I really notice that they kind of 
they enjoy social interaction almost more than neurotypical students. So I think that it's a huge thing that we, I just want to tell everybody, like if you have time, go in to talk to the special education students, go in to volunteer FCSN, and you'll notice that these students are very intelligent, very, they want to socialize, they want to make friends. I think that it's kind of a task upon the neurotypicals to also be the ones to reach out and then form connections with these students. Yeah, I could definitely see how getting to know them and just coming to meet them can be a meaningful experience. And it just, I loved how you stated that it depends on the environment. Living in a neurotypical world can be hard for the differences that neurodivergent uh, people have. And personally, I've seen a neurodivergent student in my class laughing, but then the other neurotypical students laughing at him, not with him. And that's why there's such an urgent need for change. And that brings me to the next question. Isabella, I've read about your interactions with special needs children, and you've just stated some of those interactions. So what are some of the learning takeaways you've had from those interactions? Yeah, I think that also beyond children, I've had a lot of interactions with neurodivergent adults, I think especially in the employment sector, which is what my nonprofit as an inclusion is centered around. I think that conversations and interactions with neurodivergent individuals are really where I learned about all of these things that I wanted to be helping address, that I wanted to be able to work on through nonprofits or other efforts and initiatives. So one example that I'll give is I met this wonderful individual who I actually didn't even know was neurodivergent the first time I met them. And then I was just like a software engineering kind of like talk. And then it wasn't anything related to neurodiversity when it first started. But then I realized that actually when she, when I had interactions with her, when I went up to ask her questions, that turned out that they were neurodivergent. And I think that they, when they told me about all these like adversities in the workplace that they overcame, they told me about like just the barriers and the stigmas and then the kind of discrimination that the workplace is really muddled with these days. I mean, the unemployment rate for neurodivergent individuals is around 80%. Um, depending on which statistic you look at, it can even be higher. So I think that just knowing these interactions and feeling the personal stories is what really led me to take such a personal impact upon hearing them and then being able to blossom into all of the efforts that I have today. I think that it's just, it shows that, I think it taught me that and I want to translate to other people that, you know, it's really these interactions that give you so much value. It's really talking to them that gives you so much value. So I think that that's just an important lesson that I take away. Yeah, just going to meet them and interacting with them on a personal level can definitely be a meaningful experience. And seeing the high unemployment rate among autistic individuals spurred you to make as an inclusion, which you are the founder of. Could you share with us what Essen Inclusion is and what motivated you to start this initiative? Yes, Essen Inclusion is a nonprofit, a 501c3 organization, and we're dedicated to providing career technical education to neurodivergent individuals. The mission is centered around the 80% employment statistic that I listed before. And then I think the career technical education part of it, just to explain a little bit more on that, I was actually writing a research paper at the time just about career technical education for, um, I guess, neurotypical or just not taking into account neurodivergence, neurodivergence uh, for high school students and secondary education. And I think as I was writing 
that research paper and discovering the adversities that neurodivergent individuals face in the workplace, I just realized that career technical education has these like hands-on interactive learning components that are very geared towards a person's interests and their strengths. And I thought it'd be a great application to helping increase employment of neurodivergent individuals. So now Essen Inclusion has these courses like grocery shopping, cafe, IT, in all the different employment fields. And we're expanding our content always um, just to be able to provide more training for neurodivergent individuals so that they can gain confidence, kind of like that self-advocacy portion of it to be able to go out and find a job. And I think another important aspect of it that we try to educate through our courses and our videos is kind of the more hidden curriculum, as a lot of the organizations call it, just like the, you know, the social interactions, talking to your boss, talking to your coworkers, those aspects of it that are often even more challenging than like the nitty gritty work of it for neurodivergent individuals. So something that stood out about Essen Inclusion's website was that it attracted significant views and usages. So could you share with us how you promoted the concept and how you could reach such a large audience? Yeah, of course. I think that it's been great to be able to collaborate with a lot of organizations through Essen Inclusion. So all of our videos kind of come from these collaborations, whether it's like Friends Coffee and Tea, which is like a coffee shop that's under Friends of Children with Special Needs that specifically employs neurodivergent individuals through collaborations with them, as well as Turtleworks, which is another embroidery shop um, that also employs neurodivergent individuals. It's really through these collaborations that I got to kind of give Essen Inclusion's courses a direct impact from helping the employees at those organizations. And then to expand the content, I think that there's just a lot of putting out the message, the urging the importance of advocacy, and then urging the importance of helping neurodivergent individuals find employment, how much it can benefit their lives, how much it can help the productivity of society, that I think really helps us in inclusion blossom. Oh, that's great. And through these collaborations and talking personally with neurodivergent employees, I'm guessing, what has been the most unforgettable experience you've had? That's a great question. I think the most unforgettable experience that I've had was just being able to hear the feedback on some of the courses through us inclusion, as well as the other efforts that what we've been doing with the volunteers under the organization have been doing is really helping. I think being able to hear the stories, especially some of the stories of individuals who have overcome so much adversity. I think within FCSN as well, just unrelated to S and inclusion, they also have a work employment program. And then I've been working on FCSN Voices, which is their newsletter. Um, I'm the current like youth reporter lead for that one. And then reading the articles in FCSN Voices, which kind of sheds light on a lot of these stories that neurodivergent individuals go through to get employed has been really inspiring because you get to hear like the backstory, how they overcame these adversities. And it's just so inspiring that somebody is able to do that. Thank you so much for sharing about this initiative. And now let's talk about another nonprofit company you started, Awesome. Could you share with us what Awesome is and Awesome's goal? Yeah, Awesome is a social enterprise that provides at-home therapy kits to children with autism. And then so our mission is to kind of bridge the digital and physical world of at-home therapy for children on the autism spectrum. And then it's kind of centered around this idea that I noticed at the Chengdu internship that I mentioned previously at the start of the podcast. It's at that internship that I realized that there's this kind of barrier between accessibility to therapy as well as parental involvement in their child's um, therapy and then kind of getting that continuous access to therapy that even 
um, those who are more privileged, even here in America, that still struggle with. So I think awesome is around the kind of idea that we want to be able to give parents the tools, the kits, the activities, the guidance, the instructional videos to be able to work directly with their children and then help them get more continuous therapy that's not barricaded by like, you know, social security, school, therapist availability, and kind of also this idea of just therapy sometimes can be so expensive, so inaccessible, especially in countries like China that don't have this kind of more social acceptance, even though there's still a lot of things we need to work on here in America. I will say it's it's a lot of a better system that I would say in many ways compared to other countries. So I think that awesome is just around the idea that if we can bring the therapy, the training to parents and families, we hope that these children will be able to have more continuous access to therapy. And so far, we've delivered 210 kits to families of children with autism, and we have featured on a lot of news channels. And I think that very notably to me is that we have received a lot of heartwarming messages from our users. We have these requests for photos of children holding the kits, and it's some of the most heartwarming stuff that I've been able to experience, just seeing children be able to hold the kit and smiling and then using the activities is just one of the best experience yeah definitely it's just touching to see the impact that awesome is having on autistic children and i'm sure it must have had a big impact also considering the fact of the pandemic that just happened that they can have these kids in their safe community with their parents at home and like you said it can be really accessible for them And Isabella, I've also read about your research project at Stanford about the vocational training and employment study. Could you share with us what drove you to dive into that topic and what impact you wish to achieve with that? Yeah, so that one's really closely connected to the career technical education I mentioned before as well. Um, Also kind of blossomed from the same inspiration, but essentially it's um, looking at the gap in career technical education for neurodivergent individuals. Because like I said, I believe in career technical education. I think that it's something that should be implemented more early on in high schools and middle schools even, just to be able to kind of focus education more on a person-specific interests, kind of taking into that strength-based philosophy as well, and then helping individuals be able to explore like more real-world career experiences before jumping into college and jumping into what major you want to pursue without having kind of this concrete idea of what you know, the industries or what you'd be doing day to day in particular jobs even looks like. And then I think just the idea that there's like a career technical education employability skills framework um, that the CTE program has developed. And I wanted to be able to compare that to kind of the employment skills that are most demanded in the workplace. So how well does like the skills that are taught in CTE correlate with the skills that people are looking for to employ individuals? And how can that kind of be improved to help neurodivergent individuals get employed? So the hope is that the study will be able to kind of identify both areas of strength and areas of weakness in the CTE and broader education system, and then be able to improve it in order to help kind of neurodivergent individuals as well as just neurotypical individuals as well, be able to find more um, kind of skills that they need to work on and then be able to find jobs easier. And then I think that right now, we're really looking for vocational training instructors and neurodivergent individuals to participate in the study. So, I mean, if anyone listening to the podcast is interested, they can go to the Stanford Neurodiversity Project Fung Labs website, click on the information, and then everything is there under the vocational training and employment study. So about the strength-based philosophy, based on your experiences from Essen Inclusion, Awesome, and the research project you just described, Could you elaborate on what you believe the strength-based model is? 
It's a great question. I think that the strength-based model to me is just really focusing on the strengths of neurodivergent individuals, as opposed to a lot of the kind of more medical, more deficit-based models. And it, I guess, makes sense if you look at it in terms of, I mean, this is areas that you're weak in, and then you want to improve those areas. But I think especially for neurodivergent individuals, what the strength-based model tries to do is say, let's focus on these strengths instead. So this is kind of a more like, I guess, compartmentalized example, but say if somebody is interested in arts, they're really good at arts, um, they're not so good at physics. And then the kind of deficit-based model would more focus on physics portion of it. And this is just like a example in terms of more understandable context. But in the strength-based model, if you focus on the arts aspect of it, that can increase the productivity of this person and society a lot. It can increase how much happier and how much kind of personal satisfaction they feel, how much improvement they feel. So I think that to me, is just even, even in terms of like group projects, working with other people, the strength-based model can really come through if you focus on the people around you, if you focus on their strengths instead of the, the weaknesses, instead of the things they can improve, focus on what they're really good at. And I think that not only applies to neurodiversity, but also applies to just interacting with others in general. Yeah, and making the strengths, focusing on them, and then making them like super strengths. So... Why is it important to implement the strength-based model specifically in neurodivergent individuals' lives? Um, I think that, especially for neurodivergent individuals, we hear these terms like twice exceptional, and we hear stories about neurodivergent individuals who maybe are really, really good at piano. And I think that while this, um, you know, we also want to focus, we want to be careful of ableism and the issues that surround that as well. But I think that also sends a really powerful message about how much, you know, kind of joy and how much productivity, how much the useful things we can bring out of if we just focus on the strengths, particularly of neurodivergent individuals. And then in a broader context, I just think that for the community overall, focusing on strength-based and neurodiverse communities is really what allows neurodiverse individuals to feel comfortable with themselves and then feel like they're progressing in society. And I think that that also applies to just everything in life. But I think that for neurodiverse individuals, from my experience, it's just really crucial to focus on the strength-based model that can really help them feel a lot more comfortable. And I just think that that's something that's really important for us to be able to do as a society to uplift their voices and then support their interests. This role often defines neurodivergent people by what they assume are deficits, but are actually differences in how they function and perceive things. And you mentioned something about ableism. Could you elaborate more about what you mean on that? Yeah, I think that just going back to like the first part of what you were saying as well, I think that the strength-based model, something that it also does is like, for example, it takes things like attention to detail. If you look at it from a deficit model, a person, an autistic person would be kind of looking at the deficit, you know, too focused on little is not being able to look at the big picture. But if you look at that strength side of it, you're like, oh, a lot of attention to detail. That could be something that's very useful in, you know, research, very useful in projects, very useful in general. So I think that that's one of the aspects of the strength-based model that's so powerful. And then in terms of ableism, I just think that as a society, we can really easily focus on like trying to make neurodivergent individuals similar to neurotypical individuals. And then trying to say like um, focusing on just the, the neurodivergent individuals that are closer to that supposed ideal of neurotypicalness. But I think that's just kind of going against everything that the strength-based model represents. I think the power of the strength-based model is that it focuses on everybody's strengths and that everything can be seen as a strength if we look at it the right way. So I think that's just something to be wary of and that's something that to keep in mind as advocates are supporting the strength-based model as 
just as a society as we interact with neurodivergent individuals. I love how you connected the strength-based model to everyone has strengths. And to help create change, how can we and the other listeners go about helping implement the strength-based model in our community? I think that's also reflecting on your personal experiences, how you've been able to uplift another person's strengths and then just applying how you might uplift your friend's strengths, your your family's strengths, and applying the same kind of philosophy to neurodivergent individuals you connect with. I think that everybody knows, everybody has an understanding of how to focus on people's strengths, but you you just don't really see that direct application into the neurodiverse community. So I think that just as a society, if we're just able to kind of get in deeper touch with our ability to have empathy and ability to connect with people's strengths, if we just apply that, there's so much potential there. I think as a broader context, I just want to encourage everybody not to be afraid to be an advocate, not to be afraid to delve into more research about the community, talk with more people, because there's so many lessons that can be learned there. I'd say the biggest lesson that I learned from kind of the nonprofits and initiatives that I started is that you're able to start something that's much more meaningful when you have a personal connection to the mission that you're trying to solve, a personal story that you can connect your mission to. So I think that with everybody who's trying to be an advocate, who wants to help the community, if you're able to get more interactions with the community, because it's really about supporting the community, not about kind of the advocacy that you want to do. I think that's really important to be able to make sure that you have a strong mission and a strong kind of story that's behind everything that you do. So what's next in your journey? As you graduate from high school, how would you plan to continue these efforts into your college endeavor? I would say definitely in my college career and career beyond college, I'm interested in entrepreneurship and then as well as the intersection of how I can use entrepreneurship to help support and uplift the neurodiverse community. So I think that I'll be planning on doing something related to like business and technology and then being able to form startups and innovate in order to have better ways to help the neurodivergent community, neurodiverse community. And then I'm also interested in just delving into more research, staying with like my research and then being able to expand upon it and then always being able to continue volunteering I've actually taken on like kind of larger roles within FCSN within the um, SN tutoring program that I've been working on stepped up a little bit more so I think that just propels me and sets me up for increasing my involvement in volunteering as I go to college so I think that a lot of the journey in college in connection to university will just be continuing a lot of the connections and growing them and then getting deeperly involved in volunteering and advocacy and then connecting it with I guess more career and academic wise doing entrepreneurship in order to help the neurodiverse community as well as I'm just really interested in entrepreneurship so I think that that's definitely something that's close to what I want to do career-wise. Well, I'm wishing you the best of luck in business, entrepreneurship, research, and all that you want to chase in the future. And lastly, Isabella, any final words of wisdom, tips to encourage others, whether neurodivergent or neurotypicals, to start advocating and making change for neurodivergent individuals? I think that um, goes back to a lot of what I said before, but I think that I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't reach out to just kind of code email, I guess, um, reach out to a lot of people I didn't know, reach out to ask for their advice along the way, a lot of professors, a lot of therapists, reach out to them, a lot of neurodivergent individuals to hear their stories, talk to a lot of people. I think that it's kind of like the biggest lesson that I've learned is the power of being able to connect with other people and the advice that you can gain that really sets you up for success in terms of being an advocate, being an innovator. So I think that just the 
kind of the biggest tip I get um, that I would have is to not be afraid to go and talk to other people, to not be afraid to start your own advocacy efforts, but then also to be able to value that, make sure that you're really taking in all the advice, all the stories that you hear, and then being able to think about how you want to take those stories and then change them into action. Well, thank you so much for your time and effort for this episode. And thank you so much for your advice and wisdom. Good luck with your future endeavors. And I really hope to reconnect with you in the future. Thank you so much. Isabella's message is amazing. She turned her passions in business, technology, and neurodiversity advocacy into a personal endeavor that enriched her experiences, but also positively impacted the community as a whole. Her social enterprises blossomed from her friendly interactions with neurodivergent friends. Isabella also mentioned the significance of the strength-based model, which uplifts the strengths of people around us, may they be neurotypical or neurodivergent members. Like the name of her at-home therapy kit startup, Isabella's endeavors in the career technical education field for the neurodivergent community is truly awesome. What's your takeaway? In another's view, we stand for neurodiversity. Signing out.